0: welcome to the nen valley vineyard podcast what you're about to listen to is some teaching from our sunday services we're a church made up of people from wellingborough through to and spread across the nen valley and beyond if you want to know more about us or find out how to get involved visit our website which is nenvalley.church or you can find us on facebook and instagram at nen valley vineyard Well, good morning everybody. Um, just for those who don't know, my name's Tom and quite unbelievably I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I know you look at me dressed like a slob and with a silly beard, but it's a real thing that's happening uh, in the world. Uh, um, a few weeks ago, uh, Sally kicked us off in this teaching series called Opposite Way. Um, I'll unpack that a little bit, but she she started by talking about actually in a world that is full of division and polarization and things like that, what does it look like to be a people who embrace others? And then a couple of weeks ago, I shared, you know, in a world that is increasingly becoming fascinated with like a cancel culture, like a kind of anti-forgiveness culture, how might we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, practice forgiveness um, and why do we think that's a good thing? And this, this series, if you've been with us for a little while this year, um, uh, our teaching this year has kind of gone a bit like we've talked about spiritual practices. We did a, a series on the story of God, which was quite like in-depth and theological. This is like the slightly lighter on the theological side. But equally, I think there's some challenges for each one of us. The premise being we think Jesus calls us to live in an opposite way to the world around us in many ways. And what are some of those things? Um, And what you'll see as we go through this is we're not necessarily talking about the issues you think that we might or maybe should talk about. So we're not really going to touch on uh, sexuality or gender or money or work, uh, politics, any of that stuff. And some of you go, well, surely Jesus has opinions about all of those things. And I would say, I would say so, yes. But he has opinions about lots of other things that fly under the radar for us because for whatever reason, we deem them not important enough to bring up. So we've looked at, as I said, embracing others and forgiveness. This morning, we're looking at asking questions, which sounds completely off for some of you, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to talk about worship and gossip and things like that as well. Um, and some, maybe you are the kind of person who loves to go into the big controversial stuff. And we will, with time, I'm sure, do all that stuff. But through this series, the key thing really for me is these things that we are talking about. They are just keys to following Jesus. If you are a Christian here, in some ways, that phrase Christian is unhelpful to us in the world that we live in. Because for many of us, we would still perceive the nation that we live in as a Christian nation. I I mean, I, I could sit down, I could argue with you for hours about that. But the assumption is we still live in this kind of Christian nation or a post-Christian nation, which is actually even when you look at our laws and the fact that we have human rights, those things are undergirded really with Christian values. Um, And really, can I be really honest for a minute? I'm increasingly not referring to myself as a Christian. I'm increasingly referring to myself as a Muslim. No, I'm not. I'm increasingly referring to myself as a follower of Jesus. Because I think that differentiates me from a cultural Christianity to one that hopefully reflects something of Jesus to the world around us. And is a challenge to me as well because I can live like a Christian and look at the world around me and go, yeah, I'm great, I'm living like a Christian, but I think if you follow Jesus, then Jesus will challenge you and challenge you and challenge you, but meet you in those challenges. Now, I've grown up, I don't know about the rest of you. I've grown up in a church in this country that is obsessed with issues. Issue after issue after issue. They change. um, They change and they change. And part of that really is because the world around us is changing in lots of ways. So there's this idea, something called Christendom, which to make it super simple is the idea that the the church and the state are really intertwined and are one and the same. Um, Now, I just don't think that's the nation that we really live in anymore. And I'm also not scared about that, if, could I be honest? Uh, and this is probably one of the more uncomfortable things I say. The places that Jesus is most at work in the world and the church grows the fastest is not in nice, comfortable, Christianish Western world. The places the church grows the fastest, Afghanistan, Iran, North Korea, China, places like that. That actually, the, the more opposed to the church, the world around us, is the more the church depends upon Jesus and the more that Jesus does his work. That's to make it super simple and sound, make it sound quite nice and comfortable, and it is not. But actually, as the church has observed these changes in our culture, we become concerned with the issues that come up as the, what we would perceive as the erosion of our rights and our voice. Does that make sense? So we move from issue to issue as those issues arise. And I think I've sat in more seminars about particular issues than I have sat in seminars on what would it really look like for me to do what Jesus did. I think I've heard more, in a sense, I've heard more about what Jesus is against than what he is for from the church. I've heard more about what he didn't do than what he has done. And so each week, really, we want to look at some of these things. And in a sense, this series could go on forever. We could find issue after issue, thing to oppose, thing to have an opposite view of, probably forever. But we've just picked a few, and we want to ask, actually, what would Jesus do in his upside-down kingdom kind of way in light of that? And for each one of us, some of you are probably not old enough to remember this, which is kind of terrifying. Do you? Remember when we had the bracelets, the WWJD bracelets, and they were a thing? I think every now and then they appear as like a cool retro thing, which is depressing. Um, But um, they do. But I think that question's fine. But actually, there's a, a slightly better question that I'd love us to consider as we go through this, which is something more along the line of what would Jesus do if he were me? What do I mean by that? There is a reality to Jesus in the scriptures as we see him, where he is a middle-aged Jewish rabbi living in occupied Judea. Just a different worldview to you. So when you are a mother who's considering, thinking about, you know, what's the best thing for me to do about breastfeeding? Jesus doesn't really have answers to that because he was, when he was with us, a man. Okay. So there are all sorts of issues. That's probably the most stark one I could come up with without like, crossing really uncomfortable lines. Where actually we just have to be wise and think, what would Jesus do if he were me? And what do the scriptures tell me? And what do others around me tell me? So this morning, um, in a world of statements, what does it look like for us to be people who ask questions? And ironically, I feel it acceptable to start this by making a bit of a statement, which is not lost on me. But it seems to me that we live in a world that is built around making strong statements. As the world has gotten busier and there is a clamoring for our attention, increasingly short attention, he or she who shouts the loudest gets heard and engaged with Actually, our media consumption has become about winning arguments, not about sharing information. Um, We live in a world that is really full of clickbait. So it amazes me. So even the BBC now, who in theory should be the kind of middle ground in theory. I'm not going to give any opinion. Um, Even some of their headlines, the way they word them, are to make you click because they are not clear enough. You to understand them the first time round yeah. and we live in this culture where actually if you, the amount of news articles I read in from various places where the headline says one thing I go to read it and really the content is disconnected from the headline this this is the world that we live in anything to make money through advertising revenue thanks Facebook and other exciting things that most of you really don't care about and don't need to know about at this point <laughs> but I I worked in this world for a little while and it is they will the conversations in marketing rooms are increasingly not about quality, but they are just about robbing you of looking anywhere else. And I don't, so we, we've seen a few things where this has worked well. So, Brexit, which actually is now longer ago than I think it is, um, was one where actually so much of what we were told was polarized opinions, but the vast majority sat quite in the middle of everything that was going on. But if you read, the news you would think Britain was at war with itself and actually there's something that highlights the anger of the world around us and Jesus definitely came to make some very socio-political statements Um, he definitely made lots of statements and you cannot read the bible without understanding that the bible makes some exclusive claims and strong statements But what I see in Jesus is when he came across people, he was compassionate. He might not have agreed, but he was compassionate. The only people he really took any aim at in any slightly harsh way was people like me, the religious leaders. And I don't know how what your experience has been. For me... One interesting experience I've had. So when I was in secondary school, which is now, goodness knows, 20 years ago, um, I remember there was one lad in our class who was gay. And as the Christian, I was welcoming to him because he was bullied. And everybody else would call him all the names that you're not allowed to call them. and Bully him, have fights with him, whatever else. And somehow, despite the fact that I've not changed any of my opinions or views of anybody or anything, the assumption is that I hate people who are gay because of my faith. The world around us is like shifted and moved. Um, but assumptions like this, actually, these statements come towards us as people who follow Jesus. Um, and I think the temptation for us. Is to respond with more and more statements and arguments and all the rest. Equally, as much as people make assumptions and strong statements about people like me and you and our faith, I can also think back to, to things that are statements I have made that i now go, I wish I had not said that. That probably none of us are exempt from that feeling. It's like, I wish I'd not said that thing. Certainly not that strongly. You know, at the time it might have been unhelpful, but now I just wish I could just take my words back. And when I think through the Bible, actually the Bible is full of statements, but it's full of questions. And we see in God, a God who asks questions all the way through. So in Genesis, when Adam and Eve eat from the apple and they hide from God, God doesn't come out and go, I know exactly what you did, you're terrible, get out. He doesn't do that. He comes... And he said, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree? Those are all questions. In Isaiah 6, some of you will know this passage, some of you won't. Have a read, it's a great passage. Isaiah is a fascinating book and uh, also good luck. It's quite hefty and goes quite deep, but... Isaiah 6, there is this thing. Isaiah comes into the throne room of God, has this amazing experience with God. Um, and then God just comes up with this statement. Who shall I send? It's a question. He doesn't point at Isaiah and, this thing and go, you. Just who shall I send? And then Jesus, Jesus asks questions all the time. Jesus is incredibly frustrating to be around, I suspect. Because every time you make a statement or ask a question, he responds with a question or a story. Like, Jesus, just tell me the answer. But he responds in all these different ways. One example is Matthew 16, from verse 13 to 16 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus goes on to bless him, makes that statement of Jesus, that Peter, I'll build this, my church upon you. And there's all sorts of imagery I'm not going to go into. Acts 8, the early church. This, this pattern seems to continue a little bit. Now, an angel of the Lord, this is Acts 8, 26 to 39. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasuring of the Kandake, which I'm probably saying wrong. I apologize to all of Ethiopia. Which means, queen of the Ethiopians, this man has gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, "'Go to that chariot and stay near it.' And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. "'Do you understand what you are reading?' Philip asked. "'How can I?' he said, "'unless someone explains it to me.' So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of Scripture the eunuch was reading. "'He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, "'as a lamb before its shearer is silent, "'so he did not open his mouth. "'In his humiliation he was deprived of justice.' Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And they traveled along the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. That whole, I mean, totally mad course of events, realistically started with a question. Do you understand what you are reading? Now there's a fundamental difference between a statement and a question. A statement is somewhat final. It's kind of like a we're seeking closure when we give it. It might be to win an argument. Here is what I think and I've decided it. And we need statements in our lives for sure. We definitely need statements. I am going to Aldi to buy food. I need to have some statements in my life. And we need some, some other statements, which is, I have decided to follow Jesus. That's a statement that we have to stick by. But questions are also a powerful tool that I think in our culture, we don't place enough value on. So statements can be a bit of a power play. And this is what we see in the media a lot of the time, is I'm going to try and dominate you with my statements. I'm not going to ask your opinion. I don't care what you think. So that's a statement. But actually, questions give away power. If we ask questions well, they enable people to wrestle with those things for themselves. And this is why I think Jesus uses them often. Actually, they open people up for discovery and for transformation rather than just giving a blanket statement. And I think, you know, Jesus is well aware that not everybody would follow him. So when he says to Peter, who do you say that I am? He actually gives Peter that opportunity to make a statement for himself. Jesus could have turned around and go, all that stuff people say, actually, they're talking about me. He could have just come out with that statement. But he chose to ask the question. So questions are useful in a couple of ways. And I'm just going to throw some into some scenarios and see where we end up with this. So questions are useful for us um, outside of this church environment. So when we're talking to people who maybe don't know Jesus, whatever else. um, In our kind of quote unquote normal everyday lives, questions are really useful. Hopefully, we all encounter people outside of the church. You're doing well if you don't. Uh, I don't know quite how you've managed that. But um, introverted me would say, please tell me more. But I'm not allowed to say that. Um, so people outside of like our little community of faith might be sceptical about our faith. They might be sympathetic. They might be outright against it. Who knows? But increasingly, I think our faith is... Uh, and religion generally is considered more irrelevant by our culture than ever before. But how might questions help that? How might questions help us? There is this phrase. It, I found this um, ascribed to a guy called Bill Wilson. I don't know if it is or not, but it says this People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Which I think I've written right. My brain couldn't read that this morning, so I may have written something different on the screen. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Actually, when we ask questions, we open people up to conversation and to dialogue and to friendship and to relationship. And in that space, it creates opportunity for us to hear the Holy Spirit. You know, I think often we, we get so passionate about Jesus and the gospel that actually we go about essentially just trying to be this kind of strange conversion machine. That just, every we talk to everybody about Jesus and everybody believes in Jesus or doesn't. And that's, in one sense, that's great. I love the passion in that. But actually Jesus came because of his great love for people that didn't know him. To draw people home to him. So, just to say, I think sometimes it's okay for us just to slow down and enjoy friendship and relationship and conversation with people. So when you see your neighbor or coworker or friend or whoever, um, here's just a couple of questions. If you are like one of those really awkward people like me, if you, i tell you what, if I meet somebody for the first time, I'm amazed they like me the second time. Uh, because I just, if I can put my foot in it, immediately foot is there. Okay, um, but here you go. Here's some questions that might help us. Don't you don't have to word them like this at all. These are just generic things. Um, so one is, what is your story? What is your story? So you you know you might somebody might disagree with you. You might disagree with them. Whatever. But actually, what's what's the story behind what somebody believes and the way they live and the place they live and the job they do and all that stuff? The other is, and you have to be careful with this. Could I invite you for dinner? Now, you have to do this a little bit carefully uh, because it's not a date, okay? Just not thats not what's happening. Flirt to convert is a bad thing, okay? Um, but actually, in our culture was really devalued and replaced the table as a place for conversation and friendship. And it might not be dinner, it might be coffee, or let's go and walk the dogs, or I don't know really, but... Actually, that that invitation to spend time together. Third one, do you need any help today? It's amazing how many people need help. Um, and we pray and we pray and we pray for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people. And yet our neighbor needs help with the shopping. If only we would ask. You know, stuff like that. Some of this is dead simple stuff. And then, is there any way I can be praying for you? If, if I'm honest, when I, if I uh, get to the point where I feel comfortable asking this question, rarely do people say no. They might say, I don't want you to pray with me right now. <laughs> uh, but they're okay with you praying. And so I think often in our relationships with people outside the church, we treat them like projects. Actually, we devalue them as a human being if we do that. But actually, let's share meals and coffee and DIY projects and you know all that stuff. Give them a lift to town. Actually just learn to, to love the people and ask questions and value them. And I think in the questions and in the conversation, I think there is an enormous space for us to be listening to the Holy Spirit in that place. Even in that, that passage I read from Acts, Philip is only there because he's listening to the Holy Spirit. I think we can. We've been trained, I think, in some ways, to become so dependent upon like evangelism courses, which are great things like Alpha, brilliant. But we've become so dependent upon some of those things that we forget that the Holy Spirit is is at work in between those Alpha courses as well. Uh, I have a friend uh, who I was in school with. Who um, has basically gone on to become uh, an actress in the adult film industry? Has moved to Los Angeles, all that stuff. Um, and like uh, many years ago, randomly, I think. I, so just between you and me, I've been to nightclubs literally like three times in my life. I've just always hated them. It's not that I'm holy. I've just hated them. I hate dancing. There's just nothing about it that's fun. I don't understand. Just lots of people in a room look dark anyway. Um, But I remember, I don't know how long after, maybe four or five years after we left left school, um, bumping into her in a nightclub in Northampton. And the one thing she said was, you must hate what I do because you're a Christian. And because we're in a nightclub and shouting, I didn't really have much response because you don't really have time. Um, but there is that sense that even actually somebody who, somebody like that, I mean, they could come over to our house for dinner. I need to check with Ash perhaps maybe, but it's not a bit awkward. But actually I would, friendship with somebody whose work I disagree with should be totally fine and a space to ask questions. You know, what, why did you end up in that industry? You know, what's, what's gone on there? All that kind of stuff. And I think if we ask those questions, rather than just make statements, which is, you know, so often, you know, things like that, I've come across this before where Christians will just turn around and go, you shouldn't do that. That's the first thing you, they say, you shouldn't do that. And I would go, "Yeah, well, I kind of agree with you, but there's like a whole like, bunch of relational stuff to do first before we get to that. point." The reality is we probably disagree with most people. We probably disagree with our own behavior half the time. So there's questions for outside the church. There's also questions for inside the church. Um, And these questions are really um, just helpful in our formation. And I think this is why Jesus uses them so often. I think, again, similar, really, the way we're trained is we think discipleship is a checklist. So if we do X course, Y course, the other course, then we come out as a nice, shiny Christian. But actually... Following Jesus, being an apprentice of Jesus, is the journey of a lifetime that takes forever. It has highs and lows. um, And we can isolate ourselves in that process rather than being open to questions from other people. And it's partly, I think, we've embraced this culture because it's the culture around us. So our education system, for all the wonderful things it does, is based on information and not transformation. And there's a difference between those two things. So Jesus will often challenge people on their lifestyle, but he often asks questions rather than makes statements. And I wonder in this room how many of us, we relate to one another here on a Sunday or in a small group, but nobody ever asks us questions, and we don't ask questions of anybody else. Nobody asks how our walk with Jesus is doing. We don't ask them how their walk with Jesus is doing. We might ask how they found the hot weather. We might ask how they like their tea when we make them a cup of tea, all that stuff. But actually, we don't ask questions that just create opportunity for people to share. And none of us are called to follow Jesus alone. In fact, I've gone so far in my thinking, I would say, I don't think it's possible for us to be transformed into the image of Jesus without one another. I, I mean, you, could, you can do some of the work, fine, I'm sure, but some of it's good. If you are not encouraged by the people around you, then there's growth missing. But equally, if you are not annoyed sometimes by the people in our community here, then there's, your, there's opportunity for growth there too in those processes. So what kind of questions might we ask? These are all just suggestions. You are all adults with brains. You can ask other questions too. But just some that might be helpful to us. Number one, what is Jesus saying to you right now? Or what does Jesus have for you to do in this season? Something in that vein. So as Jesus followers, we need to follow him. John 10, Jesus uses kind of shepherd language of, you know, he will speak and those that follow him will hear him and go with him. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So when somebody asks, what is Jesus saying to you right now? What has Jesus got for you in this season? Sometimes we'll have an answer, sometimes we won't have an answer, and that is okay. This is why the questions are sometimes really helpful. Because if somebody asks, what is Jesus saying to you right now? And your honest answer is, I don't don't know. Life is stressful, I've not really had time to pause and pray or read my Bible or anything. Actually, what a healthy place to be in recognizing that that's where you are at. And you're not in that place alone anymore because you've told somebody. And if you are asking that question, that might spark opportunities to offer prayer or to ask further questions, to check in with somebody. And this is a question, this isn't just a question for in the church, you know, for friends who don't know Jesus. Actually, what are you feeling led to do right now? Because there's opportunity to pray for people there too. The next question, what are you doing about that? <laughs> Which is fun. So when the question comes up and you're like, I don't know where um, things are at, what Jesus is telling me to do. Sometimes the question, what are you going to do about that, is helpful. And it can feel tough, that question. And I should say, none of these questions really are to give us any sense of shame. I've been asked questions like this, and there's this like feeling of panic in my stomach of like, I don't know what I'm going to do about that. And I don't really know if I want to do something about that. But in the question, there is a nudge of the Holy Spirit of you need to do something about this. Mm-hmm. And So one of the things that's been really encouraging for me is, a couple of weeks ago, I just, as part of the talk, said, you know, I'm, actually, I'm trying to find like a counsellor or a therapist or s- similar, postman, whatever, fine. Uh, no, um, just to work through some stuff that's come up for me. And it's been really encouraging, the amount of people who've just gone, how's that, how's that search going? Okay, because that keeps me going. So like this week, has been a bit mad. And I've not really done anything about it. But people are asking. And I'm actually going, yeah, you know what? I do need to do something about that. Third question. What is hard or difficult about that? Or what is getting in the way? So the thing that Jesus is asking you to do, What is getting in the way of that? And again, this might be something that just we've never thought about, but questions like this can be helpful in different contexts. And actually sometimes, and this is, I'm going to make a massive generalization. I get in trouble for this all the time. I think this might be more of a men thing than a woman thing. as a huge generalization. But sometimes what people are not looking for is a thousand answers to the struggles. They just need to know that someone's heard them and is walking with them. And all the time I'm trying to solve people's problems when they don't really need me to solve their problems. They just need to be encouraged to follow Jesus. And if you get a good coach, actually coaching done well usually doesn't involve telling you what to do as much as asking you questions so that you figure it out for yourself. So actually, as we ask questions, and this is where questions are about giving away power, people wrestle with it and understand it for themselves. And again, for me, so I'm in a bit of a weird season where well, I don't know how many I don't I don't know how many people come to this church anymore. Uh, it's like herding cats, if I'm honest. You all just move around; no one sits still. Well, there's never a week where everyone's here. I just don't know, and that's okay. Um, but what i i have noticed is we've got to a point where there's just more demands on my time because jesus is sending people that's great perfect wonderful but a question you know that and this is appropriate for me what is the thing that is stopping you doing the thing jesus has asked you to do well for me that's partly just trying to deal with all the stuff that comes up as people keep coming um which isn't bad but If I don't do something about it, I'm going to end up not doing what Jesus told me, and I'm probably going to end up lying down on a beach, hopefully somewhere for like two weeks, recovering, and then maybe never come back. Uh, I promise I'm fine, guys. It's fine. Um, But the question in that is, so if I'm that busy and that's where I'm at, what are the things that I need to say no to so that I can say yes to Jesus? And actually, if people don't ask me those questions, I probably won't process some of that stuff. I'll just carry on trying to do all the things. Uh, Next question, who is in this with you? And this is one, again, a massive generalization, particularly men. We like to have problems and not tell anybody about them and just assume that we're brilliant and we'll fix them one day. Um, And inevitably, it doesn't work, generally speaking. But actually, who is in this with you? If you have no relationships and no friendships, where do you find those? Can you go and find those? Who could walk through this particular issue with you? And equally, who are we then investing in? And then lastly, this last question is, how can I help? If you're going to ask people all these questions and you have time, you have permission to go, how can I help? How can I walk with you? How can I pray for you? None of these questions are fixed, and they are all just examples. But if, if you are one of those people that just is not in a space where you have people asking those questions, then could I encourage you, as a church, we have small groups. Some of Honestly, those are sometimes too big for these questions to be asked. We also encourage people into something we call huddles, which is an awkward name for like two, three, four people of the same sex together, just being accountable, opening up a little bit more, um, actually just asking some of these questions and walking together. If you've got any questions about that, don't ask me. I haven't got time. But you can come and talk to me. It's fine, uh, and I'll try and like pair you up with someone, or some other people. But it does take us being proactive sometimes to some of this stuff as well. And then just the last little one. This is super quick. So that we should probably have more questions in our prayer life. And what do I mean by that? So my prayers too often can be, Lord, I want this. Jesus, I need you to do that. Holy Spirit, I need more of you, please. At no point do I go, okay, Lord, what do you want to do today? How do you want to do a work in me? I think if, we, if you are ever in a friendship where, no, they, in that friendship, they never ask you how you are or what you would like to do. You would have questions about that friendship, but I think so often we treat God like Almighty, All-Powerful vending machine rather than a friend. So I have I've waffled on long enough. I would love us to pray. So should we stand? Um, vineyard churches we typically don't really have liturgy. The closest thing we have to liturgy we would say is. Um, this prayer of come Holy Spirit. Um, and this morning, I think just whilst we're here, I think that if, if I'm suggesting we come with questions, then I think the question as we wait is, Holy Spirit, what would you like to do? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are always present with us. But just right now in this space, for each one of us, we are all in our unique place, our unique space um, holy spirit would you just come and speak to each one of us whatever it is that you would have you would come and do would you come and meet us and pray Well, thanks so much for listening to this teaching from Nen Valley Vineyard. We pray it blesses you and produces good fruit in you. If we can connect to you or help you engage with our community, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us via our website, which is nenvalley.church.